Hi, this is Karin Zissis of ASCOA Online. There's no doubt that when we look at a presidential ticket, it's the candidate competing for the top seat in a given country who attracts the attention and the analysis, and rightfully so. But picking a running mate gives a presidential hopeful a chance to widen the net, solidify a profile, or win over a rival's followers. And that can be especially true in this time of polarized politics. So in this episode, we look at how vice presidential picks can reshape the races in Brazil and Colombia. In the case of Brazil, political analyst Thomas Trauman, a researcher with Fundação Getúlio Vargas, tells my colleague Luisa Leme why a choice of a running mate is crucial. In Brazilian recent history, vice presidents sometimes become presidents. With that in mind, leftist and former president Luis Inácio Lula da Silva made a move that raised eyebrows among some members of his base. He chose Sao Paulo's ex-governor, Geraldo Alckmin, in a conservative play for the center. Still, Trauman questions whether it'll be a strong enough play against incumbent Jair Bolsonaro, who's got the federal government's political machine working in his favor. But ahead of Brazil's October elections, Colombians will pick their next president in a May 29th first round, followed most likely by a June 19th runoff. In the first segment of this episode, I spoke with Sergio Guzman, director of Colombia Risk Analysis. He covers the profiles of the top three candidates' running mates, and he explains why poll leader Gustavo Petro didn't go for a moderate and instead chose environmental Afro-Colombian activist Francia Marquez who rose to prominence during recent primaries. Guzman points out that there are five Afro-Colombian vice presidential candidates this time around, showing Marquez's impact on the campaign. It just elevates the issue of diversity, it elevates the issue of inclusion, and it makes this a fundamental turning point for Colombian politics going forward. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America Latina in Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Thank you so much for being with me today, Sergio. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, in March, Colombia held what's called inter-party consultations, which is sort of like coalition primaries. And it wasn't so much of a shock that former Bogota mayor, Gustavo Petro, won the leftist primary. But one surprise of the night was that Francia Marquez, the Afro-Colombian environmentalist, earned over 750,000 votes. And that means she pulled in more votes than did the centrist coalition winner and former Medellin mayor, Sergio Bajardo. Petro then named her his running mate. So let's start with the front running ticket. Who is Francia Marquez and what does she bring to the Petro ticket? Well, Francia Marquez is an environmental activist and community leader from the Colombian Pacific Coast. She has been the recipient of the Goldman Environmental Award, which is considered to be the noble of environmentalists. And she's been leading communities and Afro-Colombian people in Cauca and in the Pacific Coast at large on 
anti-mining platforms on how to relate to the national government. So she's she's a social leader, a community organizer, and an activist. She's not held elected positions in, in politics before. She's not run for elected office before. And so it might have come as a surprise to many that she had the gravitas that she eventually did. However, Francia Marquez's candidacy is highly symbolic. It's symbolic of a country that has, for centuries, misplaced attention on its vulnerable communities. For a very long time, left Afro-Colombians destitute of the state. And it's a reclamation of rights for many people. So Francia, we knew she didn't stand a chance of winning the party ticket because Gustavo Petro had sort of structured his inter-party primary for him to win. But what was surprising was that she got more votes than Fajardo, like you mentioned, but she also got more votes than Alex Char, the electoral baron of the northern coast of Colombia. She also got more votes than David Barguil, representing the conservative party. So there's really something about Francia Marquez that captures the voters' attention. So when Gustavo Petro was trying to select his ticket, he wanted to broadly reach out to other political parties, namely the center, because he wanted to expand his voter base. But when Francia Marquez obtained the third most votes of the day period, scooching her out of the ticket was going to be a very difficult thing to do. Problem is, for, for Gustavo Petro now, is Francia doesn't necessarily moderate him. Quite the contrary. What Francia brings to the table is a broad reclamation of rights that strikes some people as radical. And so instead of saying radicalization of Petro's agenda, I would suggest that what Francia does is it brings the interests of particular communities that haven't previously been engaged in political battle. And she does it without necessarily making Petro more appealing to the center, Mm -hmm. which is going to be one of his major problems. Have we seen a reflection of that in polling since the primaries and since selection of her for vice president? Polling for Petro has, has seems to have increased uh, since he won the primary, as, as was expected after a primary, candidates usually get a, a boost. So this was expected that Petro wins. And Francia has, let's just say, two shares of Francia voters. There's the Francia voters that represent her constituents, local communities, Afro-Colombians, rural communities, marginalized individuals that are hugely representative. Saludo a los nadies, a las nadies de Colombia. But also this sort of urban elite, woke individuals who want to vote for somebody who represents change, but isn't Gustavo Petro, who's ran, you know, forever. Somebody who is going to fight the patriarchy, somebody who's going to bring environmental interests to the forefront of of the campaign. And they see their interests represented in Francia Marquez, but they do not necessarily represent her core constituency and her core base. It's it's interesting because Petro is in some way being framed as being a Latin American outsider, but he actually has long been in the political game. You know, he's a senator, he was a mayor. 
it's interesting to think of her as bringing that outsider anti-establishment sheen to the ticket. But there are other interesting running mates in this race. So let's turn to the candidate who is polling second. That's conservative Fico Gutierrez. He picked an interesting name as well. He chose Rodrigo Lara Sanchez, a doctor and former mayor whose father, Rodrigo Lara Bonilla, was a justice minister assassinated under order of Pablo Escobar. Beyond that, who is Lara Sanchez and what does he do for Fico Gutierrez's ticket? A lot of people, when they heard Lara, they immediately said, oh, the senator from Cambio Radical. No, that's his brother who's actually named exactly the same way. They share fathers, but they have different mothers and are named exactly the same. So a lot of people thought, wow, Federico Gutierrez is moving towards Cambio Radical when he was actually moving towards the Green Party and towards Mocus, because Lara Sanchez was member of the Green Party when he was mayor of Neiva, endorsed by Antanas Mocus, and had previously campaigned for Sergio Fajardo. So it's very interesting that he would pick a centrist to compliment him on the ticket, but not just a centrist, but a centrist from a secondary city, which is Neiva. Neiva isn't Cali, isn't Medellin, It isn't Barranquilla, which are major metropoles in Colombia, but it's a secondary city. And with that, Federico Gutierrez was trying to suggest that his presidency or his his candidacy is really going to be about the regions of Colombia and not necessarily the regions that Francia represents in the Pacific or Luis Gilberto Murillo, which we will get into, which also represents the Pacific, but communities inland communities of farmers, communities of up-and-coming industrialists, communities of oil-producing states and, and mining states. Nosotros vamos a hacer un modelo de gobierno que va a construir desde las regiones. Y no es solamente un discurso y no es solamente una apuesta política para una campaña. So his designation struck me as interesting. The problem is the standing politically of Lara Sánchez isn't one that's going to add gravitas to Federico Gutierrez's campaign. And what we've seen so far in the debates is a rather dull candidate who who doesn't necessarily bring any of the elements that Luis Gilberto Murillo is bringing to the table as a former minister or Francia Márquez with her rights agenda is bringing to the table, but a very much standard, very bland brand of of politician. So I think Federico Gutierrez's selection of Lara Sanchez was a missed opportunity for him because it doesn't necessarily change his recognition as the person who's running as a successor of the incumbent government. So let's go back to the Pacific. Polling in third, we have Sergio Fajardo. who chose a former governor and environment minister, Luis Gilberto Murillo, who's also Afro-Colombian. Does he help or hinder Fajardo's chances of making it to the runoff? I think Luis Gilberto Murillo helps Fajardo quite a bit because one of the main criticisms of the centrist campaign is that it was too white, that it was too male, and it was too Bogotá-centric. Luis Gilberto Murillo helps at least on two of those issues. Uh, It it helps give much more diversity to 
Fajardo's campaign and it helps give regional representation to Fajardo's campaign. At the same time, Luis Gilberto can stand his own ground. Luis Gilberto Murillo tiene las condiciones para ser presidente de Colombia. O sea, no es una figura decorativa que se puso ahí para conseguir votos, entre comillas. Luis Gilberto, as a former governor, as you mentioned, as a former environmental minister of Colombia, as a former representative of the Somos Pacifico plan of Juan Manuel Santos, has been a public administrator in the past. He has already cut his teeth in terms of governing a major platform of the country, something that neither Francia Márquez nor Lara Sánchez have, right? So it brings this sort of, not just political acumen, but public administration bona fides to the table. And so Luis Gilberto compliments Fajardo in a very nice way, in a very elegant way, because he represents not just Afro-Colombians who've been successful, but Afro-Colombians who've had power. And so in a way... Francia Márquez's and Luis Gilberto's candidacies sort of clash on that issue because one of them represents the powerless, the other represents people who acquired some power and who become part of the establishment and the system. People who are ripping apart glass doors and have done it in the past. So Francia wants to also demonstrate this. And so Luis Gilberto's candidacy, in a way, also effectively repels some of the arguments that Francia Marquez is trying to do, which is Afro-Colombians were underrepresented, were excluded, etc. Five of the presidential campaigns have an Afro-Colombian ticket. And that's, that's impressive in and of itself, but it also underscores the effect that Francia Marquez has had on the campaign, because it just elevates the issue of diversity It elevates the issue of inclusion, and it makes this a fundamental turning point for Colombian politics going forward. In the last election, the issue was about female representation, because both Iwan Duque and Gustavo Petro had female running mates. And Sergio Fajardo also had a female running mate too, right? Now, the issue of inclusion and diversity is coming to Afro-Colombians. Not that it's not that it's by turns, right? I don't want to I don't want to mention that, but I do want to mention how that issue is becoming more important electorally in Colombia. It is noticeable that there are so many Afro-Colombian candidates and there are multiple women candidates. And that was something that I, I was curious about. Does this reflect a shift in the country since the last election and why? Yes and no. Symbols matter. Inclusion matters. Putting people in charge of things matter. But women are still broadly underrepresented in Colombia's institutions. 25% of elected members of Congress are women. And as you know, they're more than 50% of the population. That doesn't add up. The government has something called the quota law, which 35% of ministers have to be female. And they just overturned the appointment of the defense minister because when they appointed him, the government went under the 35% threshold for, for women. So not even the government that established a legal threshold to put 35% of females in the cabinet was able to do it. And this was a government that started out with a gender-balanced cabinet, right? So the issue of inclusion, the issue of representation, very much is still, we're not done with it, right? We need, we need to do a lot more work. 
Great. Thank you so much, Sergio. It's been a pleasure getting caught up to speed on all these vice presidential candidates with you. Absolutely, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. That was Sergio Guzman, director and co-founder of Columbia Risk Analysis. Next up, we hear about the role of vice presidents in Brazil's competition and a conversation between journalist and political analyst Thomas Trauman and ASCOA Online's Luisa Leme. Thomas, thank you so much for participating in our podcast, Latin America in Focus. We're very happy to have you. I'm very happy that you invited me, Luisa. Thomas, we are here talking about vice president choices and what makes a VP a VP material. And what we have set up for these 2022 Brazil presidential race is a very polarized race with former president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva and current president Jair Bolsonaro leading the polls. We're six months away from the vote. There are no official tickets yet. So, of course, there's a lot that can happen. But how do you see the VP choice affecting the race from now on? It will affect because in Brazilian recent history, vice presidents sometimes become presidents. I mean, it did happen with José Sané, it did happen with Itamar Franco, and it also happened with Michel Temer. So the choice of a running mate is not only the choice of somebody who might help you with a party or just an alliance, but also is somebody who might succeed you. This is very important in Brazil. And if we get to the idea of what the Workers' Party is doing, making an alliance with former Governor Gerardo Alckmin, most of the yelling from the PT supporters is the fact that, oh God, he could be a new Michel Temer. So just goes to show how this VIP choice is important in people's memory and result. Yeah, what we are talking about is in this polarized race, one of the sides, which is Lula, has already announced his choice. He has confirmed Geraldo Alckmin, his former opponent in this presidential race, is a former presidential candidate for PSDB as his running mate. Geraldo Alckmin is not even part of PSDB anymore. To join this ticket, he changed parties. This was a surprise for many, but, but there are observers who talked about how this ticket Lula Alchemy is about governability for Lula later on. Do you agree with that? Yes, I certainly agree with that. But it's also the fact that when you have a president who is himself such polarized and also polarized not only on many aspects of Brazilian life, but especially on democracy, the best choice Lula has to win the election is to try to show as he was a type of national unity candidate. And to do that, he must go further than just to the left. So the, the choice of Alckmin makes sense on the idea that Lula is now trying to make a broad coalition, not only to win the election, but also to govern uh, if he wins. So the idea of bringing somebody who is famously conservative as Alckmin and convincing Alckmin to change parties. The mayor leader popular deste país, Lula! Lula! Viva Lula! And to join the ticket shows that Lula is trying to open himself up 
opened the Workers' Party. And this obviously is a sign to Brazilian society. Lula is trying to innovate here. Alchemy was never a very appealing, not the most exciting candidate or political figure in Brazil. So just explain to me how this ticket is going to work. How this race is going to be different now that they are in the same ticket? One must remember that Lula had this idea when he ran and won in 2002. I mean, he had then José Alencar, who was a former businessman, who was a senator from PMDB and then senator from PL, but obviously was a businessman and a, a conservative, extremely conservative man from Minas Gerais as his running mate. So, I mean, it's not the first time he's, done, he's doing that. He's trying try to go back uh, where, where he went. But José Alencar was not a true politician. He, he was a senator, but by one running campaign, he did it. Alckmin by his side has been three times governor in Sao Paulo. And in all his elections, he had the Workers' Party as his opponent. So this was a really very much more difficult decision because some people in the Workers' Party, especially from the Sao Paulo state, were furious with the idea. So this took, I mean, from the first time that Lula and Alckmin met to the final, it was released by the press, it took almost six months on secret dinners and conversations that really four or five people only really knew what was going on until they both agreed to, to make a public announcement of it. Because Lula knew that this could really be, I mean, the pity would really be really furious if it happened, let's say, a year ago, you know? So what I see once I'm watching his campaign on daily basis is they are extremely still very slow on making this move. And Alckmin is no doubt a big move. But since Alckmin, nothing has happened. If Hedy Lula wants to win this election, he will need to go make even further steps to the center because Bolsonaro is extremely difficult, extremely hard candidate, has enormous support and has the machinery. And the machinery in Brazil is extremely powerful. Can you explain a little bit about that? What we're talking about when we talk about the machinery, Thomas? Most of the, the cities in Brazil, they depend on federal money. I mean, the federal money that gives the money to, so they can pay their teachers, that they can buy medicines for their small hospitals, that can give the gasoline for the ambulance. I mean, Brazil, being a federation of the United States, has extremely concentrated budget. And so this makes that the federal government, when he decides to give the money to the mayorship A and not the mayorship B, he might decide if that mayor will be probably re-elected in two years or not. And obviously, if the mayor gets the money, he will support the representative of his base. So, I mean, it goes on that this makes a really big net support. Mm -hmm. And Bolsonaro has now, as his chief of staff, a minister called Ciro Nogueira, who is really very good on doing this. They don't really care if it's Lula or Bolsonaro. So this means that Bolsonaro probably will grow in polls more in the next months because the money is getting to the places. That's very interesting you're saying that because on Bolsonaro's side, we still don't have an announcement from his campaign, but he has said that there is a great chance. He said 90% of chance. 90% Braga Neto. Pronto, fechou. 90. 90%. 90% Braga Neto. Tá fechado aí. For a former general, his former defense minister, General 
Walter Braga Neto, who recently left the post according to the electoral court rules and quietly affiliated himself to the PL, to Bolsonaro's party, in this past two weeks. He is 90% the choice. Uh, it's a general. What do you think about that choice? Bolsonaro is really afraid of getting impeached. This was from the day one. He was always afraid that once he got to power, Congress would try to impeach him as they did with Dilma Rousseff and they did with Fernando Collor. So having a general and a hard-line general as his vice president, in his opinion, will make the Congress think twice in taking him out of, stepping him out of power and putting a really true general in as a new president. So it did work. The question is, it's so obvious that the politicians are looking and saying, well, why do we want to have Bolsonaro and, uh, and a general as his vice president? No, we don't. We want to have a politician. So I feel that even so that Bolsonaro has said that 90% is all sure that it will be General Baraganeto, this 10% might change the, <laughs> into the decision is made in the beginning of August. This decision will only be formalized, let's say, by the electoral court in Brazil in August, right? There can be an announcement anytime from here until then, and there can be changes. Uh, a lot of people talk about how Bolsonaro should not be choosing a general, not just for the reasons that you were talking about, but also like what could benefit him more on the polls. He has actually recovered some voter intention in the last polls. We see him advancing, getting closer to Lula. The last datafolha from March 23 shows that there are still 32% of voters who are undecided. What would help Bolsonaro with his VP choice? What would get him votes? I don't feel that, that people will vote for Bolsonaro for his VP choice. I don't really feel that. Bolsonaro is himself in that sense. I mean, Bolsonaro in the sense, he is extremely like Donald Trump. Nobody, I mean, really cared who was Donald Trump's running mate, you know? So I feel that what all the other parties that are alive with Bolsonaro want to have somebody that would, let's say, threaten him. If he doesn't behave, they will impeach him and put some, somebody else in his place. Bolsonaro wants to avoid it. Bolsonaro works in a different ways than from Lula. Bolsonaro doesn't want to conquer the center. He doesn't want to be the president of all Brazilians or something of a national unity. He wants to be the president of the people who vote for him. I mean, that's what he made in the last three years and a half. And that's what he will probably try to do if he gets reelected. So uh, in a sense, uh, for Bolsonaro, the choice has less importance or less symbolism than from Lula. He has mentioned that he wants a VP that does not want his job. Yeah. So uh, this is, I mean, it just goes to show it's not, not he's trying to have running mate, he's trying to have somebody who will obey him. But this just goes to show how Brazilian politics has uh, VIPs is so important that, I mean, the president has to decide, well, do I want somebody who wants my job <laughs> or do I want somebody who wants my job after I leave? We have some people dropping off from the race and one of them was Sergio Moro. Sergio Moro uh, polled third place for a long time. Uh, a lot of people still talk about the third wave in this race. Do you see any of these candidates that show up as a possible third candidate, either advancing or becoming vice president choices material for, for those two leading candidates? No, no. Uh, 
this election is basically because the third way was incompetent and took so long to choose. Their, they haven't yet decided who is the candidate. will decide it in May, who knows. This race is between Lula and Bolsonaro. And why? Basically because Bolsonaro and Lula are known by over 95% of the people. They have a track record to show as presidents. And they have extremely strong and fervorous support in the cities to appear a third candidate that is not still yet known, that doesn't have a proposal, that doesn't have a strong support between the people, just won't happen. What will happen is somebody will be a candidate, yes, and will make a campaign, and who knows, will be nationally known and can, can run in 2026. But for, the, for this election in October, it's already off, and we have these two choices. You have these two candidates. The two candidates will still grow and will probably have in the next poll. We have even less people who will be undecided. And you have a extremely polarized election that could even go into the first round. I really feel that both candidates will probably get over 40% of the, in the polls into the beginning of September. You could, in, in chance, have a decision in the first round that somebody would just get to 51%. Thomas, I really appreciate you coming to our podcast to, to give your views. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karin Zissis. Our executive producer is Luisa Leme. This episode was produced by John Orbach. You can get poll numbers and hear more about this year's Latin American elections at www.as-coa.org 2022. The music in this podcast is Danilo Brito performing Madrigal Merencorio for America Society. Check the podcast notes for links to watch the full video. Find out about upcoming concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can help us spread the word. Write us a review, give us five stars, or subscribe at Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.